Now, for the show that brings combat sports stories to life from the great state of Ohio, this is Forged in Ohio. Hello, everyone. My name is Jake Marin, and welcome on in to episode 12 of Forged in Ohio. I'm extremely excited for this episode because I'm actually not joined by a mixed martial arts fighter. The premise of Forged in Ohio is welcoming guests on the show that are involved in any kind of combat sport in any type of way. So without further ado, I'm joined today by Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu practitioner and instructor Chad Kuhn of East Coast Martial Arts. Thanks for coming on the show and welcome to Forge in Ohio, Chad. Thanks, brother. Looking forward to talking. Yeah, as am I, Chad, and I'm grateful to be joined by such a specialist in mixed martial arts. Before we get into your role at East Coast and your current role in mixed martial arts, I wanted to talk about how you got into MMA and in particular BJJ. I know that you started your journey as a seven-year-old in a karate class, but what brought you into that karate class at such a young age? So, you know, karate was pretty big in the 80s, you know. I'm, uh, I'll be 48 years old this year, so, um, you know, I started karate in the early 80s. I was always a small kid, you know, in, in size. So my dad wanted me to be able to protect myself if I ever needed to be. And, you know, what'd you do in the 80s? You joined a karate school. So um, what started my martial arts journey, you know, and it just led to a few other things. You know, I did a little bit of kickboxing and boxing, never any you know, actual MMA, obviously been around it a lot and, and worked with some guys, but that's what started my, my fire, as I call it, for martial arts. Were you receptive to that to start, you know, going into a karate class at seven years old? You said your dad pushed you in there to be able to protect yourself. Did you enjoy that process? Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It was something that um, I liked right away. You know, I went all the time as much as I could. Um, I'll never forget my I remember we went to a um, it was a pretty big karate school back in the day. uh, Dale McCutcheon's in Hartville. Um, He was pretty big in the karate circuit. And I remember the first year I went, me, my cousin went and uh we had an awards banquet at the end of the year and we're like, oh, we just started. We're not going to get anything. And I, I think I got best attendance, which was big as a kid, you know, to get a, get a little plaque. And, um, but I was both feet in, you know, and then I discovered Bruce Lee and it was over after that. When were you actually first exposed to Brazilian Jiu Jitsu? You started in karate. You said you mixed in with some other martial arts, but what was your first exposure to BJJ, which is your ultimate kind of like passion and main practice now? Yeah. For sure, yeah. So my first exposure, I would say, was probably UFC 1. And the same story with people my age is, like, I rented it at Blockbuster on VHS. Like, what is this? And I always say, like, this little guy in pajamas, Hoist Gracie, was beating up the guys that, I don't want to say I looked up to, but did what I did. They did karate or they did some type of striking. I didn't understand that. So, um, you know, I watched all the UFCs as, as they came out. I would rent them from Blockbuster or wherever and took a while to find like anybody in the area that did any type of grappling jujitsu. And that's where I found East coast and even back then. So I started jujitsu in 2004 and at East coast, we did no gi grappling once a week. That's what started it. Right. And did you fall in love immediately with Brazilian jujitsu or did it take you time to um, realize that it was not only a passion of yours, but something that you would even want to turn into a career path? Yeah, it took me a little while. I mean, I knew I liked it. And before I got into jujitsu, I did go back to like some other martial arts. I did some Taekwondo and I'm like, this isn't it, you know, something needed to fill that void for my martial arts. And it wasn't the traditional stuff at the time. 
I remember being in um, a bookstore reading a, like a, a jujitsu magazine and somebody's like, Hey, do you do that? And I'm like, no, but I, do you know anywhere around here that does? And they're like, yeah, East coast. I started going to East coast and you know, kind of branched out. I got really good friends with the instructor at the time there, Mike Broom, still a really good friend of mine. And, uh, I knew he trained somewhere else in the gi, right? The traditional way in the gi. And he's like, yeah, I trained at this guy's basement in Carrollton, Ohio. You need to get a hold of him. So Dave Miller was my first real gi instructor. Um, and I drove from Louisville I lived in Louisville at the time to Carrollton three times a week and trained in his basement. We trained gi jiu-jitsu and it was awesome. And that's what training in the gi really lit my fire for jiu-jitsu. When you first discovered East Coast martial arts, did it seem like a perfect fit from the very beginning? Honestly, it did. I mean, it's something that um, it's hard to explain the atmosphere that East Coast had then and still does. Um the owner of East Coast, Steve Heineman, he passed away about eight years ago now, um, but he was very instrumental in the MMA scene in Ohio. Um, and like I started doing nogi with him and by nogi, we might be doing wall drills one night or clinch work. So it was like he made it more of an MMA class, you know, um, with some more emphasis on jujitsu. Um, but yeah, it was it was always that atmosphere. and I knew I wanted to be there, even though I was going to Carrollton to um, train a little bit on my own and learn some things. It was always the place I wanted to be. Was that something common for you back then and even now for you to kind of go out and get some other looks in BJJ and kind of cross train? A little bit, you know, we're out of that that COVID area now. COVID kind of put a damper on that cross training, right? Sure. Um, but I've always been like, you know, back when I was a purple belt, I was a seminar junkie, man. I was going everywhere I could to learn some more stuff. It is easier, a little easier now because of all the streaming platforms to learn some more stuff like BJJ Fanatics and Flow Grappling and all that. You can learn from your house, you know, and, and work with your team. But uh, yeah, I actually signed up for a seminar at another gym uh, in February. So try to get back out there and, and do some things. Um, I have my first affiliate up in Ashtabula that I'm going to kind of oversee their program. Um, I'm supposed to do a seminar for them next week, but I'm kind of on the mend right now with my first real injury in jiu-jitsu after 18 years. It sucks. <laughs> wow, first real injury in 18 years. What yeah. actually happened there? Um, just a fluke thing. I was rolling with somebody and I went to like knee cut or knee past their guard and my foot got trapped and I kept trying to cut and my knee popped. Um, pretty scary. You know, at the, at the time I can hear, hear, still hear that sound. It's an MCL sprain. Um, so I'm going to start getting, some, you know, doing some rehab for it and some treatments and you know, hopefully in two to three months, I'll be back. But no doubt, I mean, it's my first real injury. I've been very careful on how I've rolled throughout the years and training wise. And if you need time off and listen to your body type thing, I'm a smaller guy. I'm, I'm six foot, but I'm 150 pounds. So I'm usually the smallest person in the room. So being technical and smart is, is huge for my jujitsu game. Right. And you said two to three months, is that two to three months, you know, you're not even going to be able to roll at all. Yeah, probably not. My uh, my PT, I have a blue belt at the gym, Sam, who's a PT, and told me probably a 12-week recovery. If we want to be smart and, you know, see how it's feeling, I might be able to do a little bit of light drilling. And I can't even teach right now. I'm having my other black belts and other students teach for me. So I'm still at the gym because obviously I run the gym. I manage the gym. I still want to keep that routine of being on the mats with everybody and and being there. So um, that won't that won't stop. But, yeah, I want to be smart as I can. Yeah, I was going to say, I imagine you'll still be involved in the gym in some type of capacity oh, yeah. while you're hurt. Uh, I, I, you've mentioned the the gi versus no gi quite often already, and I understand what that means. But when it comes to mixed martial arts, not having competed myself, can you explain what the difference is from your perspective on the mats themselves? 
the biggest difference is, is the grips, right? The gi grips, you have the collar, the sleeves, all that stuff, right? And obviously in no gi and MMA, you don't have that. It's more of a clinching game. But, you know, 10 years ago or so, we had quite a few MMA guys at East Coast, and I made them all train in the gi. You weren't just going to be a no gi guy. I feel, um, and no gi is getting more popular now, and there's always going to be this argument that gi jiu-jitsu doesn't help your no gi game because you're not wearing it. And I get it to a point. What gi jiu-jitsu does, in my opinion, is slows down the whole game. No-gi and MMA is very fast-paced, very scramble-oriented, where the younger, more athletic guy can get away from things because of the slipperiness of it, the sweat, right? Um, which is part of it, too. And that can also help you with your control. But I've always been an avid jiu-jitsu purist where I like the gi, and I feel it slows down your game. So the MMA guy we've had in the past, they train in the gi. Now, if they have a fight coming up, probably you'll take the gi off a month out just so they don't get a finger caught in the gi or, you know, something that way. But I'm a true believer in gi jiu-jitsu for sure. Yeah, I was going to ask you if it's common for MMA fighters to cross-train and kind of train at East Coast just for that Brazilian jiu-jitsu background and training aside yeah. from their actual traditional MMA training. Is that a, a common thing to see at East Coast? Not as common as it should be. Like, I, I try to, to preach that... Um, training the gi to more to complete your game so as common as it should be but we're working on that so it's different you know it's 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 a whole different thing when somebody gets a hold of your gi and you're like now i can't get loose i have to i feel it's a little more of the thinking man's game too like really have to dissect what's happening to you in that moment right? it's not just i'm bigger stronger i'm going to get out of this with force I have to think about it a little bit sure and i i like that quote you said you think there should be more MMA fighters mm -hmm. in the gym and I really agree with that because in today's age of MMA you can't be single focused you have to be well-rounded you have to be good at striking oh. wrestling and Brazilian jiu-jitsu some people in the UFC that have that advanced BJJ are supremely better than others assuming that you still keep up with the UFC and keep up with MMA yeah. who are some names and guys out there that you kind of admire look up to and see their BJJ and kind of just see like wow yeah. that's amazing yeah, so currently I don't watch as much. I kind of keep up with some names, but like in the you know mid to early 2000s, MMA was in your face so much and jiu-jitsu wasn't. You know what I mean? So I really watched a lot then. But like guys, you know, BJ Penn, Damian Maya, those guys, like their jiu-jitsu is next level and they proved it in every MMA fight, you know? Those are gi guys, you know? BJ Penn was the first American to win Brazilian world title, you know, in Brazil. He got his jujitsu black belt in the gi in three and a half years, you know, like he's a freak. Um, those guys are just, they're, they're, their jujitsu is amazing. And I believe it's because they trained in the gi, you know? Right. I wanted to go back and kind of address how you got into Brazilian jujitsu. Cause you said you had mm -hmm. experimented in other uh, disciplines as well. What was it about BJJ that always brought you back to that over, you know, the disciplines of Muay Thai, kickboxing, boxing, and even wrestling as well? Yeah, so I never wrestled in high school. It just wasn't, you know, looking back, you know, I've always over the years like, oh, man, I wish I would have wrestled. I wish I would have done this. We all do that, right? But if I would have wrestled, how would it have changed the jujitsu that I have now? Would my guard game and bottom game be as good? You know, so you should do all those things, cross training, all these. We teach wrestling in our jujitsu classes. Um, but there was just something about jujitsu being a smaller guy, like really didn't want to get punched in the face, you know, doing Thai boxing or boxing. Um, I was 29 when I started jujitsu, so a little older. But yeah, there was just something about the, the thinking part of it, you know, that I know a smaller person could do something against a, a much larger opponent with the leverage aspects of it, you know.
now your role as a teacher and instructor in BJJ, why do you like teaching more than actually competing yourself? Um, you know, I, I competed a little bit up until purple belt. I didn't do that well. I've never been that avid competitor, right? But there's something in teaching people and seeing them progress and, and, and do things that you showed them, you know, I just, I, I love coaching and instructing people and teaching people every week. It's just that seeing people come in, you know, seeing that 15 year old kid, we'll call him a kid, right? With no confidence and not very athletic in six months he's arm barring people or he's walking in the door with his head a little bit higher and his shoulders up, you know, the confidence that jujitsu can give people is, is amazing, man. It's really, truly amazing. Is that almost your favorite part of getting to be involved in these athletes lives, seeing that progression from beginning to end? Absolutely. It's one of that and just becoming friends with everybody. Like I always joke around, like I have no friends outside of jujitsu or, martial arts people, right? It's just who you are attracted to, the like-mindedness of it. And just besides your family, we spend more time with each other than anybody, more than your job, more than you, you know what I mean? I've been doing jujitsu for 18 years. What else in my life have I done for that long? So I've been, you know, my fellow black belt, Pete Shock, he's one of my, he's an instructor with me. We got our black belts the same day. Other than my family, I've seen him more in the last 15, 16 years than anybody in my life. You know, and it's just something, a brotherhood, a friendship that you get used to and it's second to none i mean it, it, it truly is yeah i could only imagine and i assume you you train people of all ages gender and sizes mm -hmm. what is it like getting sure. the opportunity to be involved in all walks of life that go through the doors of east coast that's the thing like the jujitsu mats are a melting pot of everybody right from blue collar to somebody who's an attorney fire department we have a lot of police officers in um it's nobody asks you know, politics. That stuff does not come up on the jujitsu mats. Whether you, you know, you probably, a lot of us probably don't agree on the same thing, but we agree that we're here to do jujitsu and we're thankful for that. And that's what that time is about. Hearing that, you know, police officers are going in there and learning Brazilian jujitsu. Yeah. Are those just some of like the practical and actual real life implements of Brazilian jujitsu and what that practice can do for someone's life? That, I mean, they're learning jujitsu just like if you came in, you would learn jujitsu. It's nothing special. Now, we do have a police officer only class that's a little more focused on that. Sure. Um, but that's the other argument you could get into with gi and no gi is I feel the gi is more practical for self defense because we're wearing clothes, all right? We're wearing a jacket. We live in Ohio. We have a hoodie on six months out of the year, you know? Um, so for police officers, it's huge to come in and, and train in the gi and, and no gi, but um, getting a little more. Um, officers in now um again some just like we talked about the mma guys doing gi jiu-jitsu we need more law enforcement law enforcement officers practicing jiu-jitsu it's, it's a must for what they do interesting i would not have made that correlation if it wasn't for you saying that how you know bjj could actually serve as a role in a police officer's job how many students yeah. do you have today at east coast martial arts Overall, we're probably around 225 to 230 wow. total. That's jujitsu, kickboxing, um, youth and adult martial, martial arts. Um, we have a fitness class called MMA Fit, which was Steve Heineman, the, the owner's uh, baby. Like, it's trademarked. He came up with it. Um, it's a great fitness, like, boot camp hit class. Um, so, yeah, it's, it's, it's awesome, man. And Tuesday night at my jujitsu class, I had 45 people on the mats just in jujitsu. So it's, it's awesome, man. Things are doing, we're doing pretty good. 
Yeah, there's something to be said for that because I read an article and it was in 2015, I believe, and it said about 30 to 40 total students. Now you're over 200. Was there an initial struggle at East Coast and finding new students, whether there weren't many available because of interest <clears throat> in the sport at the time or because of competition yeah. from any potential gyms out there? Oh, so that article you read, 30 to 40, that was probably just jujitsu. Now okay. in jujitsu, we're, pro we're probably at 100 or so-ish, I would say. Um, yeah, I mean, it's always, you know, we've always relied. We've been in business since 1986 is when East Coast opened. So that's pretty, I feel pretty impressive in this day and age for a business to be open that long. Um, so we've always tried to do the right thing. Word of mouth is our big thing. We don't like, we don't pay for advertising. We do Facebook, all the free social media word of mouth. You know, we try to get in the community and, you know, I'd ask people all the time, Hey, how'd you hear about us? All so-and-so said, this is the best place to go. So that's what we really rely on. The thing we fight now in youth classes is other sports. You know, when I was growing up, played football in the fall and then you didn't play football until next fall. Right now kids are getting that, that they need to get the leg up on the competition if you're good. So they play football or they condition all year round. Basketball is travel league. Then it's this and baseball. And so that's what we fight more than anything or the other sports, even more so now. What recent trends have you seen just in the popularity of Brazilian jiu-jitsu itself, not only worldwide, but also locally in Ohio and on the East Coast? Yeah, I mean, it's, you know, there's jiu-jitsu schools everywhere now, you know, like we were the only jiu-jitsu school in Stark County for a long time, you know. So now I think we have two other ones, one in Green and one in North Canton. Competition's good. You know, that's awesome that there's other opportunities for people. I always tell people, like, again, I ask people how they hear about us or how did you, hey, why did you want to do jujitsu? Well, I heard Joe Rogan talking about it or I heard Jocko talking about it. The way thing people are hearing about it is differently now. If you would ask me, how'd you get into martial arts? Well, my dad obviously got me into it, but it was Bruce Lee. It's just, it's changing how you hear about it. I saw a TikTok video this morning, um, you know, Mario Lopez from Saved by the Bell. He's a purple belt in Brazilian jujitsu. Uh, there was a TikTok. He was on the Kelly Clarkson show and she's like, Hey, show me a jujitsu move. So he showed her like a rear naked choke, just him being on that show and her saying jujitsu just exposes to how many more people that might look up and say, Hey, what's jujitsu? These guys are doing it. They're talking about it. So it's going to get more accepted at some point, you know? Right. Why should someone get into jujitsu in your opinion? What's your best sales pitch per se for someone that might be on the fence about going into, the, into their first gym? Yeah, I mean, I think it's one, you're going to find a family that you didn't know you had needed and then you didn't know was out there, you know, a group of people that are just awesome that will do anything for you. And then just to, to do something, you know, like it's a good stress reliever. It's a good, you know, get away from the, you know, I'm very lucky that I do it for my job now, but in my previous life, you know, I was in warehousing and logistics and I worked a lot of hours and I always would leave, go to jujitsu. And then I'd go actually go back to work and finish my day. Um, it's just that time to get away, man. I've had a lot of ups and downs and, you know, my dad passed away in 2009. I'm coming to get any off topic, topic, sorry, but no, you're fine. My dad passed away. Just an example for you. Like my dad mm -hmm. passed away in 2009. I was with my family for most of the day. And then that night I went to jujitsu at East coast because I knew those mats would get my mind off of it for a little bit, you know? And for that two hours, I was sweating with everybody and doing jujitsu. I didn't think about a thing. I think it can be a really good release for people to, to get out, get away from whatever they're dealing with mentally and everything. It's so good for, for, you know, for that stuff. Right. And in that circumstance, it's almost like you're going to see your second family that night 
in that yeah, uh, jujitsu class. Yeah, yeah. You'll hear me. Tell, you'll hear my keywords, my buzzwords of family and atmosphere. And like, if you walk into East Coast, I want you to feel the atmosphere atmosphere before you even step on the mats and put a gi on. I want you to feel like this is where I should be. These are cool guys, cool girls, all that stuff. Yeah, you mentioned the atmosphere at East Coast Martial Arts over almost everything else. What is it that East Coast has in terms of the atmosphere that other gyms don't? Well, I can't speak for other gyms, obviously. Um, there's a lot of awesome gyms out there. And if you're close to one, go in one and check it out. Um, but you know, it's something, the atmosphere that Steve Hyman started back in the day, and it's it's hard to describe. It's just a feeling you get when you walk in that, like, this is a cool place. It's a vibe. You walk in some... You know, I, I'm at the front desk a lot. Somebody, they're going to talk to you. Hey, man, how you doing? It's they're going to engage with you, and and you get on the jujitsu mats. And you'll be sitting there. People are going to come up to you and say, "Hey, what's your name? You know, it's your first time. You know, what brought you in? It's just a very family focused place that is going to take care of you. Do you feel like right now? You know, you mentioned your work in the warehouses and all <laughs> that. Your position and role in the sport is it exactly what you want it to be right now? Absolutely, man. I mean, there's always, we're always bettering ourselves, but, um, yeah, my focus is building the gym and, you know, building all the programs and continuing jujitsu as long as I can, man. I don't, I've been managing the gym. Um, I don't own the gym, but I've been running the gym and managing the gym for about 10 years now when I got out of warehousing and logistics and all that. I don't miss any of it, man. I don't miss the corporate life, the, you know, working the 12, 14 hour days that I used to work and, I haven't had to get up to an alarm clock in 10 years. I mean, that it's so, it's awesome. If some, if you can do that somehow, do it. You know, I have twin boys that just graduated high school and I keep trying to tell them like they're in college and, you know, focusing on some career choices. I'm like, man, just try to do something you want to do. Try a few things. But we're so adamant on pushing our kids to like, you got to do this. You got to get a good job. You got to make good money. All true things. But Money ain't it isn't the end all be all, you know. Have you ever tried to get your boys into jujitsu, or have they I, ever been in the I gym? Did, yeah, they've been. You know, they grew up coming to the gym with me and would sit in the corner, and they'd. I never pushed them to do it. Do I regret not trying to push them a little more to do it? Yes, absolutely. But I never wanted them to do it because Dad did it. I'd seen that in the past with their sports and you know people that push their kids and their kids don't like it they resent that you know and they don't perform like maybe they should um but yeah i kind of wish they would have did a little bit more but it's all good something to be said about jujitsu is that you can never learn everything is that an aspect never, of yeah. martial arts that kind of attracts you the most i would say for sure i mean there's so many things that you see now it's like man i never thought of it that way just that thinking out of the box and never knowing you're never going to know everything ever. I don't care how long you train. Even with your high level of experience in Brazilian Jiu Jitsu, I'm sure you learn a new trick or two here along the way. Absolutely. How often do you actually learn something new, no matter how big or small in martial arts? Most of the things that I learn, what I'm going to say is new is like a concept or a new way to do a move that I already know, right? The basics of jujitsu, you can know a lot of moves in six months to a year. Imp implementing them and the concept of doing them changes. So with the gi, we can use the lapels, you know, the, you're wearing a weapon, right? I can choke you with my gi, I can choke you with your own gi. You no, know? so you're always learning a different way to do something. Um, 
and the you know the guys at the head of the sport now the competition guys are just coming up with some crazy ways to do some things and it's it's pretty awesome are these new discoveries and new ways of practicing jiu-jitsu just due to the evolution of the sport people are figuring out you know defenses to the old techniques so you kind of have to adapt in a way 100% yep there's always a you know I always tell people in jiu-jitsu you're going to have an immediate answer for the question you just asked question is i'm trying to armbar your right arm he's going to defend that and you get the answer did it work or not right that's not going to be the same on everybody and that's even the the best part just because i armbarred you that way i'm not going to armbar the next guy that way i always say people react you know 90 percent of people react a certain way then you're going to have those 10 percent outliers that don't plant their hand right in front of you they plant their hand 45 degrees away from you that changes everything in jujitsu you know um, so that's going to continue just to, to happen. Talking to Chad Kuhn on Forge in Ohio, I read that East Coast Martial Arts has several homegrown international Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation gold medalists. That sounds like an incredibly impressive feat, but from an outsider, can you all put that into uh, perspective and put that accomplishment into perspective? Yeah, so we there's um, an organization called the IBJJF, the International Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu Federation. They're probably the big, they are the biggest run organized tournament probably in the world right mm-hmm. so we've had guys go to chicago to compete the chicago open they run um we've done the indianapolis open we've had um guys go out to california to do the pan ams and the worlds um and when you go out to california to do those i mean there's over a thousand competitors you know it's it's a big deal um we got some guys possibly going to the to the nogi or i'm sorry the gi pans it's in florida this year in march We'll start getting ready for that. And it's competition is nothing I've ever pushed on anyone. Like you've got to compete to get better or get belts or anything. I don't believe in that. Um, If we have guys come up and say, Hey man, I want to compete. Like, okay, we're going to get ready and we're going to go to, you know, you hear that. Yes. Win or lose. You still learn. It's true, but we're going to win. We want to win. That's our objective. Right. So we'll step up training a little bit. We have a competition class on Saturdays where we go a little harder, um, it's a little less teaching and a little more just drilling and getting after it a little bit more. Aside from the gold medalists, are there any local men or women at East Coast that you think will have widely successful careers in Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu or really any martial art? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's always that. Um, yeah, we have some guys that compete right now. They're, you know, uh, Tim Stinson. He's a purple belt under me. Um He's, he's probably going to do the pans and, uh, Dan Candry is going to do the pans and trace two, two purple belts and a blue belt in a blue belt. Um, but Tim has aspirations of doing ADCC. I don't know how, if you know what ADCC is, Abu Dhabi combat club. Um, it's pretty big. He wants to do the trials later this year. And I think he has a good chance to do the trials. Um, yeah, we have some guys out there that just, uh, like to get after it, man. Do you prefer those classes where it's, you know, those hard drills in preparation for a competition or maybe just a teaching class like you have throughout the week? Do you have a preferred class type or is it kind of a nice balance between the two? I think it's a balance between everything. You know, we have a fundamentals class during the week, which is very, very just straight basic stuff. Um, And then Mondays and Wednesdays, we kind of do a little, we might do a little, I'll call fancier stuff, right? A little more open guard, de la Hiva guard, something that's not as fundamental. Thursdays, we do no-gi once a week. And Saturdays is the comp training. Um, So, yeah, I think it's a very good balance of everything. Many of the fighters I've had on Fortune Ohio have shown interest in opening up their own gym at the end of their careers in hopes to give back what they have learned and loved to others. 
As a mm -hmm. teacher yourself, what is it like being able to spread the knowledge in mixed martial arts that you have accumulated to others? It's great. And again, like we talked earlier, I wish we could spread the the grappling Brazilian jiu-jitsu love a little bit more in the local MMA community, right? And, and it could, you know, it could happen. Um, it, it's, it's awesome. You know, I coached a lot of MMA guys back in the day, and it was great. Um, we don't have any MMA fighters right now. Um, our guys, they're just concentrated on jiu-jitsu, so... Yeah, I also hear from fighters that it's more stressful being in the corner of a teammate than fighting themselves. What's oh, the stress or anxiety like for you when cornering an athlete for competition? You know, it's different. Obviously, MMA is a little different than jiu-jitsu because your friend and student is going to get punched in the face whether they win or not, right? They're probably going to get punched in the face. So it's a different... But even coaching jiu-jitsu, man, when they're getting ready up like they're in the bullpen, I can feel myself shaky a little bit, right? Or just a little anxious and... Um, as soon as they step out there and smack hands, we, you know, I start coaching and um, very fortunate to the guys that really, they really listen to what, you know, the, it's a big thing to trust in somebody that's telling you, Hey, do this and you're going to be okay. So even for a student learning jujitsu is hard, but learning to listen to your coach is even harder because you're going to have these instincts that I need to do this. I need to step over this guy where I can see if you step over this guy, he's going to recover his guard. You're not going to mount him. He's going to recover his guard. Um, those are things that you just have to, it has to be a trust between the student and the competitor or I'm the, the competitor and the instructor. When does that transition happen as a coach from being nervous and being anxious going into a competition of one of your students to actually being a coach and being able to give them the advice that they need in the moment? Yeah. So I don't think the nervousness will ever go away and I can still coach properly and correctly, even being nervous, you know? Mm -hmm. Um, so I don't think that'll, you know, the student listening, that can take some time. A lot of times wrestlers, just because they're used to being yelled at by their coach, right, will start listening to you a better. I had a, a guy years ago that would actually, he wrestled, he would actually, if he couldn't see me, he would turn his opponent to where he could see me. So we would be eye to eye. And he would, you know, I would point or put, you know, do this and he would do it. So sometimes wrestlers listen a little bit better, but sometimes they're a lot more stubborn too. Is there one match or one competition out there that kind of sticks in your head the most from others, kind of puts itself out there of, you know, that was your favorite match that you have coached? I have coached? Uh, that would be hard to put a number on. or uh, Probably not. I can't think of one off the top of my head. I mean, I love coaching all my guys, you mm -hmm. know. Um, yeah, probably not one that sticks out. They're all awesome. You know, you win or lose, they're all awesome, and we learn something. Do you have one in terms of competition? No, I mean, you know, I wish I would have been, it was a lot, we had a lot smaller group back when I competed, right? Like, I wish we, I wish I could have competed with these guys, you know, the guys I have now. I wish I could have, you know, they're in their early 30s, most of them, some in their mid, you know, early to mid 20s. So my competition days are over. I'm probably not going to compete at all. I wish I could, I wish I was younger to compete with them now. Once again, this is Chad Kuhn with us on Forged in Ohio. I wanted to reserve time near the end of the interview to discuss your own interviewing platform. You are the co-host of the Limitless Radiocast podcast with Terry Seaton mm -hmm. of On His Guard. For those that might not be aware of the podcast, what is Limitless Radiocast all about? Well, we just, you know, we, it was kind of one of the things that we pushed during COVID, you know, we had, I had been on a podcast during COVID with somebody, a jujitsu podcast and 
um, one of my good friends, Dan Candry at the gym, he's like, you speak really well on that podcast. You should do one. And I'm like, yeah, whatever. I'm not doing a <laughs> podcast. You know, and I had told Terry, Terry's one of my students. He had started right before COVID and we kept talking about it. Like, oh, we should do this. We should do this. And then one day I get like two Amazon packages and it's my microphone and my headset. Terry had bought it, sent it to my house and like, hey, we're doing this. So just a way that we talk to anywhere from, you know, our local guys, my students have been on the podcast. We've had some pretty big names like Kenny Florian has been mm -hmm. on our podcast. Um, so just a way to, to get people's name up and coming guys to get their name out there and just have good conversation, you know, organic conversation. Right. And the, the setup you have is great. The audio quality that you're presenting to this podcast even is great as well. How'd you and Terry settle on Limitless Radiocast as the name for the podcast? So that took some time. That's a good question. Cause we fought like what name to, cause everything's been done, you know, like jitsu, you know, you can come up with all kinds of different, you know, names. Um, and I was actually, I was like doing some push ups, and I had like some, something jujitsu on in the background, like a fight to win on flow grappling. And somebody said the word limitless. I'm like, that's it. That's it. So I called Terry. I'm like, Hey, we got to go with this limitless name. I don't know how if you type in limitless on apple podcast there's a bunch of different names for limitless you know but we just went with limitless radio cast and that's pretty much it yeah and as we talked about previously you know the sport of brazilian jiu-jitsu is in fact limitless so it does make perfect sense what do you take pride in the most when it comes to co-hosting a bjj podcast that has had the likes of kenny florian and many other prominent names on it like you said it has published 84 episodes dating back to january 24 2021 and was even voted as the number one bjj podcast by jiu-jitsu legacy um yeah which the, i stumbled across that they never reached out to me or tagged us or anything in that article mm -hmm. i somehow stumbled across it on google i don't even remember what i was looking for but i'm like holy cow they ran into number one um which is awesome you know we just want to put out good conversation terry and i from day one wanted this to be organic we don't pay for any followers or any likes or any advertising um we don't make any money off the podcast you know, we have some local sponsors that help us out here and there, but that goes back into the podcast to whatever we're doing, you know? So we just want to put, you know, get people's stories out there, you know, whether it's local or like you said, big names. Um, we just want to have a cool conversation with people and make friendships that, you know, that last. Right. And were there any trials and tribulations, especially near the beginning, you started it during COVID of the Limitless Radiocast podcast? I mean, just getting used to talking to people and forming, you know, we didn't want sure. it to just, just be question and answer. We want to talk, you know? Um, so yeah, just, just figuring out how we go back and you know, Terry's kind of the lead. He is the lead on the podcast. He does all the intros. He gets the conversation going. And then I chime in when, when I, when I want to, but um, yeah, just getting that rhythm going, I guess, between us, it was the tricky part. Right, and you teach and perform art through jiu-jitsu for Limitless Radiocast, though. Interviewing is known as yeah. an art in the communications field. How quickly sure. did that art of interviewing come to you? I think it's still coming to me where, again, I want to just talk to, to you. I don't want it to sound like an interview. I just want to talk to you back and forth. So something we're still working on, like I'll have guys at the gym say, hey, man, you need to talk more. Don't let Terry talk the whole time. I'm like, yeah, I know. So I just try to f find my way to interject on different conversations, you know? Knowing that you wanted to start a podcast for jiu-jitsu, what was the inspiration of having so many guests 
featured on the podcast and having these types of conversations on it. So I just kind of, you know, did what, you know, some other podcasts do. I started, you know, having different guests on, I would just start, you know, a lot of people, obviously we know, and I can, my instructor, James Klingerman, like he was our first episode. He was the first guy I reached out to, to be on the podcast. And then I would just like Instagram message people. Like, hey, my name's Chad. This is, I had a little spiel. Would you like to be on our podcast? Yes, you know. And mm-hmm. some people would reply back and some people wouldn't, you know. So, and that's still what I do to this day. Reach out to people on Instagram mainly. Like, hey, we'd love to have you on and get you out there. Get your name out there. Yeah, and that's a very similar process that I'm going through myself with Forge in Ohio. Yeah. And I've certainly enjoyed the few episodes I've listened to upon discovery of the podcast uh, before we wrap Appreciate up, it. anything else you'd like to shout out in terms of your gym, any other up-and-coming athletes, social media handles, or uh, sponsorships at all? Um, so we actually have, Terry and I also started another brand called Limitless Tape. So in, in the jiu-jitsu field, especially gi jiu-jitsu, our fingers get beat up a lot, right, from grip fighting. So we came out, there's other brands out there of finger tape. You can wrap your tape and protect your ligaments and fingers. So that's called Limitless Tape. And we have other people that use it. You know, we've had people use it for bowling or any way you injure your fingers, it can help you. So um, that brand's out there. Um, not really any sponsors for the podcast. We have some local sponsors. Um, M&H Beans are a coffee, local coffee company. They actually have their brick and mortar store that opened up in North Canton by Pav's Creamery. If you like coffee, they are awesome. They're good people. We have Magic City Brewing up in uh, Akron. Sponsors, they've helped us out a lot. It's a great place if you're into beer and stuff. Um, they're great. So we've had a lot of good people really help us out sponsor the podcast. Dan Candry of Candry Law, he's one of my purple belts. Um, he sponsors the podcast and helps out the team and just a lot of I'm I'm very fortunate. Probably sounds cliche, but I'm truly fortunate and thankful for the people I've been surrounded with in the on the mats and off the mats. I mean, I wouldn't, wouldn't be where I'm at. Sounds like you have a lot going for you. And I thank you again, Chad, for taking time out of your busy schedule and joining me on Forge in Ohio. I've been looking to get a coach, teacher, or instructor on the show since launch, really. So thankfully, you were the first, and I look forward to having even more on the program down the line. Before I let you go, I always end interviews on Forge in Ohio with a chant for the state that we live in. Goes like this, OH. I O. Thank you, Chad. Thanks again for coming on. Uh, I look forward to future episodes of Limitless Radiocast, and I wish you and East Coast Martial Arts nothing but the best in 2023 and hopefully a uh, speedy recovery as well for you. Thanks, brother. I appreciate it. That was Chad Kuhn of East Coast Martial Arts, a truly fascinating backstory and a really deep dive into Brazilian jiu-jitsu. Definitely an episode that hasn't fit the norm of what I've set so far on Forge in Ohio, but as I said, it was a norm I wanted to break and didn't really even mean to set. Hopefully you all enjoyed hearing from a great mind in the sport of mixed martial arts, and I look forward to having other instructors of the fight game on the show if this episode gets a lot of support. As I sign off, don't forget to check me out on Instagram at Jake underscore Murin, and don't forget to support the podcast in any way by downloading, sharing, and of course, subscribing as well. I've been your host, Jake Murin, and this was Forged in Ohio.